The GameCube Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube Was Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tier. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level for the month of July. I Rebel, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, and Christopher Valenz. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. We did it. We hit 20,000 downloads. What an accomplishment. This is incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, congratulations to you. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you. Thank you so much. And it only took us half of the GameCube's library to do it. Yeah, no, it only took... I mean, even halfway through the GameCube's library, I'm still very happy with that. Uh, just seeing the progress that we've made over the last year. Like, oh, yeah. To see, it, took, it took us almost nine months to get to the first 10,000 and then less than five months to get to the second 10,000. So I'm more interested in just seeing how we're doing improving. And it seems like that we're developing a bit of a fan base and a following, which is really neat to, to see. Um, I don't really care if it takes the whole GameCube library and then some. I'm having fun doing this regardless. So I'm looking forward to a, another 20,000. And well, I guess let's see how how long it takes for us to get to 30,000. That'll be really fun. Oh, uh, 50,000 is going to be our next big goal for sure. Oh, so we're going to stop talking now until 50? Is that the I idea? I don't know. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll see. Whenever we feel like it. <laughs> Whenever okay. Feels like the right time to uh, to talk about it. <laughs> sounds good, sounds good. But I'm just going to enjoy this for now because I know 20,000 downloads is a is a big accomplishment for a podcast of our size. Let's 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 keep riding high on that 20k. But uh, before we do that, well, I guess as we ride high on that 20k, can I go over a couple of stats with you, Neil? Sure, sounds good. Am I going to have to guess things? I, I should get some paper ready. Oh, uh, well, yeah, you will have to guess things. But let, let's uh, let's okay. talk about just some some stats that we've had over this um, year and a half almost now. Uh, we have 62 okay. episodes, Neil, uh, 62 normal ones. We have 57 mainline ones, but this episode going live this week. We have had 46 different guests being on the podcast, which I think is really impressive. Wow, that's crazy. Because there are lots of games out there that we really don't know a lot about, and uh, we always want to make sure we have the best people talking about them. So that's been a lot of fun having guests on that we are either friends with in real life or people that we met along the way. So it's 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 mm-hmm. been a good time. I was going to say, I'm. it's very impressive how, how like when we started this, I thought, okay, we'll get our friends to come on. But within a few months, we were getting people that we had never met asking to come on. We still do get messages from people on Instagram and everything asking to come on the show for a specific game that they played as a kid, which is it's incredible, and I never thought it would come to that where people from all over the world want to come onto our show. It's really neat. Yeah, no, it really is, Neil. It's it's been a an absolute pleasure and a privilege for us to have all those people on. And with those people, we've talked about, like we said earlier, 277 games. Uh, we've also talked for more than 6,872 minutes uh, <laughs> about the GameCube. Is that over 100 hours? Uh, so that's almost 100 hours, 93 hours, or four days, uh, 18 hours and 32 minutes. <laughs> Holy crap. So if you, if you take the unedited versions, then yes, it's definitely been over 100 hours. That's crazy. 100 hours to talk about the GameCube, that's that's pretty impressive. That's that's a lot. That's a lot of work. I'm proud of that. We've been downloaded in 76 different countries at least once. 
uh, we've been downloaded or listened to uh, on at least 51 different platforms. And some of my favorite of those platforms were the Xbox, which I'm not sure how you can listen to us on the Xbox. The original Xbox? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think that that shows up as any Xbox platform, or do you think that actually is an original Xbox? I have no idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there a PSP in there? There's the Bose Sound Touch, the, uh, the Apple Watch, uh, which is a fun <laughs> one, um, cool. and LAVF, Lav, Lav. L A V F Lav. Lav. The hardest thing to I've ever had to say. Lav. <laughs> okay, if you're the listener who who have downloaded us on your laugh, please write in and let us know what that is, because that must be something from another country. I don't know what that is. And of course, we have to go through our top ten episodes here, Neil, because um, you haven't been doing too hot when you guess our top ten. Uh, the last no, I couple never do. times that we've done it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to save you some time here. I'm going to start with number eight because nine and ten basically change every day. And those okay. are, I'll give you those ones. That's Star Fox, uh, that's The Simpsons, that's the Zelda collections, and that's the Dreamcast episode. So, Okay, uh, so that's good. So I'm guessing the top eight. So top At eight. At number eight. Okay, my number eight is Launch Day Part 2. I'm sorry. Uh, Launch Day Part 2, although has done very well, uh, it's not quite in the top 10 yet. Not in any of the top ones. Okay, so that's zero points for me. Number seven I have here is Wind Waker. I'm sorry. That also is not in the top 10, but still. Really? It did quite well. Yeah. See, I I always think it's going to be the GameCube exclusives, but I think that that's wrong. It's usually because the only game I have on here that isn't an exclusive, you'll get to it later. But uh, for number six, I have here Animal Crossing. Ding, 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 ding. You got two points there. It is Animal Crossing at number six. And Animal Crossing, of course, is in the top ten. Wow, nice. Perfect. Okay, two points for Animal Crossing. Number five I have is Nightfire. I'm sorry. Nightfire is in the top ten, so you get one point. But it is not number five. Okay, that's actually a huge accomplishment that it's in the top 10. Like this James Bond game that you and I have bonded over for 20 years is like one of the most famous episodes that we've done. I think that's that's pretty cool for <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, I agree. Number four I have is Melee. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know what sound to make. Uh, <laughs> Melee is unfortunately not number four, but it is in the top 10. Ah, okay. So it's a near miss. Okay. Near miss. That, that's still a point. So I have four points. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number three I have is Luigi's Mansion. Ding, 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 ding. Luigi's Mansion is number three, our third best episode, and uh, it is obviously in the top ten here, so you get two points. Sweet. I'm at six points already, Mike. Wow, look at you go. (laughs) This is actually the best I've done, and I don't look at these these stats. I hope that remains clear. (laughs) If you did, uh, this would not be be doing very poorly. (laughs) Yeah, that would be really bad on, on my part. Number two I have here is Super Mario Sunshine. Super Mario Sunshine is actually in the top ten, but it is not number two. Oh, okay, so one point. All right, and then my last shot here to get, let's see if I can get to nine points. My number one is Launch Day. And I'm sorry, Launch Day is in the top 10, again, but not number one. That's good. All right, so I got, <laughs> I ended off with eight points here. Uh, so Mike, what is from uh, eighth place to first place, what are our top eight best downloaded games today? At number eight, we have Pikmin. Hmm. Number seven, Metroid Prime. Hmm. Number six, Animal Crossing. Right. Number five, Super Smash Bros. Melee. Oh, wow. Number four, Launch Day 1.0, I guess. <laughs> Our first episode. <laughs> Launch Day. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Number three, Luigi's Mansion. Okay. Number two, 007 Nightfire. And number one, Super Mario Sunshine. Wow, Nightfire is our second best downloaded episode? Yes, it is by, by quite a big margin, too. 
Holy cow. Okay, I'll take that. That's amazing. Yeah. Dude. That's a really that's a really good list. I like that. I'm actually also very proud of Metroid Prime because I thought that episode was going to be dicey. Just it got a bit of a bump because of Metroid Dread coming mm-hmm. out. It's but. it's had a slow a slow gradual growth where some of these other episodes did very very well at first and and tailed off, which is just the mm-hmm. nature of having over 60 episodes. Uh we'll have a lot of hit and misses, but uh Sunshine remains our number one listened to episode. So we want to thank all the listeners out there who've listened to that as well as all these other episodes that we just mentioned and all the other ones that aren't even in the top 10. So again, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon on a monthly basis. We do have a Patreon page now, which we've had for a few months. And remember, supporters, at the $5 or above level, you get your name read at the beginning of the episode in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic. Now, Jed says, rank your favorite guests so far from least to favorite. Just joking. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if we had to, uh, what was it, 46 people? Oh, no. Actual topic. I am sourcing from fellow friend of the show, Nicola. Do you have any summer book recommendations? So, Mike, you and I, we both like to read, actually, which may surprise some people out there. We are literate, uh, and we do, we do read... Just uh, on the cusp. Just the cusp of literacy. <laughs> I did pass grade 12. Jed wants to know if we have any book recommendations for the listeners out there. I have a few here. I have four books, uh, so I'll just go through mine really quick. Sure. Uh, I just read the Roy Halliday biography by Todd Zalecki. I like to read biographies. That's yeah, my preferred... Yeah, I like that, too. Yeah, that's my preferred genre of, of books, if you want to call it that. Like, I've read the Steve Jobs... Uh, I love the Jim Henson biography, Arnold Schwarzenegger. These aren't my recommendations. I'm just saying that uh, I just finished the Roy Holiday one just because the baseball season's here and uh, I felt like reading it. He's a very interesting person. If you if you would especially like that book, Mike, because you know that was a really sad day when when he uh, when he unfortunately passed away, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. especially in the Toronto Jays community since he was a major Blue Jays player for several years. My second recommendation is actually a two-parter. If for anybody interested in reading more about video games, my two my two recommendations are. Console Wars uh, by Blake Harris. That's like the ultimate book about uh, Sega and Nintendo's war in the 90s. And it's written from Sega's point of view, which most of the time, like look at us, like you hear about everything from the Nintendo point of view. Uh, it's really interesting to hear or to read about what happened with to the Genesis and to the Saturn and then eventually the Dreamcast uh, from that era. And then my second uh, book here is Masters of Doom, which is about John Carmack and John Romero when they were making Doom and Quake and Wolfenstein in the uh, 80s and 90s. That's a really interesting book to read if you're into video game development or just shooters in general. Uh, and then as a kid, I, I put a couple of books here uh, that I love to read during the summer was Harry Potter uh, and then the series of unfortunate events. I love those books in the summer. And I think reading kids books in the summer is fun too, because it's easy. It's it's fun. You feel like you're accomplishing something because you can get through the book so fast. But if you're looking for like a series of books that kind of is a bit more adult, maybe young adult fiction, the Silo series is really good, especially if you're into video games like Fallout, The Last of Us, like any kind of post-apocalyptic uh, video games. It's three books. They're pretty big, so you might need more than the summer to read them i read them in college and i highly recommend them to everybody so those are my uh, recommendations for summer readings nice very very nice very nice mine are the war for late night which is a book that came out about 10 years ago and it's all about the controversy and everything that happened with um jay leno and conan uh and and that is that period of time is always so interesting to me because that was one of those few times where that news was everywhere. Literally every channel you turned to, every like person you talked to was talking about like that controversy where Leno kicked um, uh, Conan off basically and it was the whole succession crisis with late night television. And I kind of seen that book pop up again because Conan is leaving late night again. 
uh, uh, leaving TBS after however many years he's been on there. Uh, and I was like, yeah, that's right. That that's a really good book. So I've been reading that again, uh, and it's uh, it's so interesting because that world is. It, I don't think that's going to be something that ever ever happens again because it just no. was like the most bundled PR thing ever. And and late night TV is so interesting because yes. so many people talk about it. It's always on. Like everybody has their favorite host, but like I feel like me especially, I don't know much about these hosts or the production side of things. Like it's pretty incredible when these guys go on almost every night or multiple times a week to these shows and they're very good hosts they're very good at giving out the news and whatnot it's it's a really interesting format that hasn't died away like late night tv is is almost as old as tv is yeah it is it's like the first that's like one of the first things i was on tv was this idea of a late night talk show and basically we here try and kind of create our show like it's a late night show we like to have (laughs) people on honestly for a couple you know it's usually 15 minutes or, or so per guest uh and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes we'll have a guest on for a long time and we have our segments our opening our monologues you know and um yep. that's something that i kind of have taken from watching late night shows as a kid because yeah. i always liked that format there's you know i don't want to drag podcasts through the mud or anything but uh there's some podcasts that i listen to that they'll kind of just have the same person on quite a few times that they just ramble on to and I don't mm. love that format. I like when we get to switch it up, especially as we're going to do in this episode. We have mm-hmm. certain people who come on who are experts at certain games, and they switch over to someone else who will come on to talk about another game. And it's a fun time to, to get different opinions. Yeah, it adds some diversity so that it's not just you and I talking every day, every week. Anyway, what's your next book, Mike? Yeah, my other books are uh, Philip K. Dick's uh, Minority Report. We talked about Minority Report earlier on in this podcast that when we were talking about movie tie-ins and I've actually never fully read the book version of Minority Report. So I picked it up not too long ago and I, I really want to read it because I love Philip K. Dick. Uh, cool. And a couple other ones, uh, Toronto Street Names. Uh, it was a book that I picked up just a couple days oh. ago. Uh, just the origin of Toronto Street Names. I thought that was a fun one. That's what I'm reading right now. Just learning about oh, cool. you know, where I live, like what what uh, huh. my street names actually mean. So. I never even thought about that. That sounds really interesting. I just interesting. saw it in like the cheap bin for like five yeah. bucks. I was like, sure, let's do it. I'll learn about this. <laughs> I, would, I would love to borrow that from you when you're yeah. done. That sounds fun. That sounds like good, like just coffee table reading. And you know? a book that I read uh, or that I, I really want to um, read more. I read about the first half of it is Alex Trebek's uh, biography and his memoirs, which is called The Answer Is. Uh, it came out last year, just before he died. And it's a fantastic book. And the way he did it was really nice. It's The chapters are maybe one or two pages, and they're very succinct. He basically just says exactly what's happening at this period. Uh, no fluff, no describing anything. You can tell it's him writing it. And uh, it's really, really, uh, really nice to read. So I definitely recommend checking that one out too. Is it written like a journal or? Uh, almost in a sense, uh, okay. but, but not like per day or anything. It's just like okay. him, he like one of the, the chapters is him talking about meeting the queen. Uh, and it's oh. funny cause she like talks to him and like how, like she's so like thankful for him, uh, his education or for him promoting education and all this stuff. Uh, and then he sees her the next day and she forgot who he was basically because <laughs> she's meeting like a billion people that day or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's like us when we cover a game and then we can't remember what we talked about yeah, a couple of days later. And he talks about, he's like, I was so, I was so ready to see her the next day. We were best friends, you know, after our like five minute <laughs> conversation. And it's just like, nope, uh, <laughs> just another person. That must, that's a strange feeling. Well, thank you so much, Jed, for the topic. And remember, Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level, please don't forget to DM us on Patreon and we will read these topics on the show. We're open for anything 
everything from nerd culture to everyday topics like food or reading. Mike, before we get on to the episode, though, it's time for our favorite segment. What do you think? It's time for our mailbag! Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to leave us a rating or review on whatever podcast service you listen to or the social media platform of your choice, you can send it to us, and we will probably read it on the podcast, just like Max R. Power uh, writes in today via Apple Podcast. Max says, The GameCube ruled. Great podcast about one of the most underappreciated consoles ever. You can tell the hosts have been friends for a very long time. Their chemistry is great. Very entertaining, informative, and funny. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Max. We will. And we have been friends for a very long time. We just celebrated a couple of uh, weeks ago our episode about our 20th friend anniversary. So uh, glad to hear that the chemistry is portraying nicely over to the microphone. Uh, We haven't been able to sleep in the same bed for quite a while, though, Mike. I think that our relationship is going dry. Yeah, and we're supposed to get China, right? It's the yep. China anniversary. That's so right. if anyone wants to send us China, uh, we we would really like that uh, to complete our dinnerware set. Yeah. Oh, I, I need a complete dinnerware set ASAP, <laughs> ASAP, please. <laughs> While we're working on our dinner set, Mike, let's get on to episode 57 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on every major podcast service. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet, and we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games one by one sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 280 games. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we covered unplayable games like Charlie's Angels and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the greatest crossover of all time. It's because Charlie games clearly have a curse. Clearly. (laughs) Are there any good Charlie video games? We'll have to look into that. This week, we're covering a bunch of fighting games, specifically Soul Calibur 2, to celebrate the 19th anniversary of the arcade release in North America, which was July 5th, 2002. Uh, Soul Calibur 2 is one of the best fighters of the sixth generation of hardware. Uh, You hear about it in almost every major fighting game community. It was a critical and commercial success and we'll also be covering a bunch of other fighting games too like bloody roar primal fury and rave master fighting live and we have a bunch of guests joining us today because mike and i we don't actually have a ton of experience playing fighting games other than soul Calibur 2 so we mm-hmm. asked a bunch of our friends to come on and we're excited to have them join us so let's get the first set of guests on so that we can cover soul Calibur 2 first mike what do you say all right and joining us today on the show is John J3000 from the Stream 3000 show. So John, we do have two questions for you because you are a first time guest on our show. We would like to ask you first, did you own a GameCube uh, growing up? Awesome guys. Well, thank you for having me on. I of course did own a GameCube when I was growing up. Beautiful. And what color was that? It was a jet black GameCube. Nice. So my neighbor, he owned the purple one and I had to be different. So <laughs> I had to get that jet black GameCube. I love it. I love it. I uh, I've actually owned the purple and the jet black. Uh, now I'm I'm just I need just need the silver to complete the North American collection at least. <laughs> yeah, if I had known that uh, orange GameCubes existed, that would have blown my mind. I would have sent. Time. I that would have been on my Christmas list every single year if I was a right? kid. <laughs> it's like you already have a GameCube though. <laughs> <laughs> Does it play the games any differently? No. It's so it's it's so funny how we went from the N64, which had like a billion color variations from see-through to Pikachu style to, to like Link or Zelda Golden, and then like to the GameCube, which had three plus the Spice one, if, if you're lucky. We went from like the N64, which was like Nintendo was on cocaine or something, putting out <laughs> consoles every Friday to the GameCube, which pretty much the launch, like it came out with, you know, the three colors and then that was it. Yeah. Oh, man. Can you imagine if they had done transparent GameCubes? Oh, my God. 
I've seen those mods and they look nice. We would have had to buy them all. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be broke by now. The fantastic. Uh, and then of course our second question, because this is the Soul Calibur episode, who was your main in Soul Calibur 2? Okay, so when I was playing friends, I would use the guy with the staff. I think his name is like Killick or Killum or something. Yeah, like I know that. who you're talking about. Yeah, you can just cheap shot people with that staff from like a distance. And so in the 1v1s. But uh, I don't know. I switch between like I think her name's Talim or Talik. I'm getting all their names are very yeah. Talim. She's she's pretty rad. So I don't. There's so many good characters in the game. She was like the Chun Li of Soul Calibur. If I wasn't playing as Link, I liked playing as what was his name, Necrid, the like kind of Killer Croc looking dude. I think just because he looked cool. Fun fact: Todd McFarlane designed that character yes, that's for right. the game. I don't know if you went over that already, but. No, we haven't actually talked about Soul Calibur really at all. So this is this is our chance to introduce it. Neil, do you want to introduce Soul Calibur to the, the show here? Will do, Mike. So Soul Calibur 2 was released on August 27, 2003. Uh, in Japan, the official release is actually July 10, 2002 in the arcades. The game was developed by Project Soul. It's published by Namco. It's also on, or it's also in the arcades, and then it's on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and then later re-released on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. The game rates a 9 out of 10 almost unanimously, and today it's priced at around $40, which is a really good price for a GameCube game of this caliber. It's just crazy to think for me that I remember picking up this game for $20 about five years ago, so it's doubled in price in that time, and I think it's only going to go up. The game sold one 1.09 million units, making it the 28th best-selling GameCube game, right between Rogue Squadron 2 and Star Fox Assault. Both also good games. Mm-hmm. Also, also good games for sure. But yeah, um, let's just start it off then. Uh, John, what are your memories of playing Soul Calibur 2, other than using that that stupid spear to, to, <laughs> to beat people? <laughs> to cheap shot my friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay, so I just wanted to say really quick... I played Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo when I was a little kid. I remember kind of enjoying it. Uh, I love to play Chun-Li and just like also just cheap shot my brother, get him <laughs> in the corner and do her like spinning kick or whatever. But fighting games had already had their moment. And as we got into the PlayStation and then we got into the next gen, there was tons of 3D fighters and none of them really stood out. And I don't know if that's been the experience of a lot of your listeners, but that was my experience. It was like... There was all these games or stuff like Bloody Roar, Tekken, mm-hmm. Dead or Alive. And they all just kind of, you know, they, they were just there fighting games. And people didn't really, 1v1 fighting games, you had to be kind of like really into it mm-hmm. to, to really enjoy them. So I remember distinctly when this game came out. Firstly, I remember that it was going to come out on all three platforms at the same time. So you got the GameCube, PS2 release, and the Xbox release all at the same time. And each one had their special character and their own cover. And it was like a huge marketing campaign. Yeah. And I don't know what it was about this game, but it just, it was like everybody played it and everybody mm-hmm. knew it. Even people who don't usually play fighting games and it just drew a lot of people in. And so that was my experience. I was actually out on Vancouver Island visiting a friend. I was like 13 and I was crashing at my friend's place and he was working at Tim Hortons <laughs> and there was another friend crashing there too. And we would rent this game. We just played it like all day. And so this game is like tied up to being on Vancouver Island, going to the beach every day, eating seafood, and then cheap shotting people with the staff. So, Oh, man, those are amazing memories. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, very good point there with the marketing campaign. 
this is something that we really hadn't seen before very much of because whenever Neil and I talk about all these games that we've already talked about over 200 at this point, uh, every single time it's like there's the PS2 release that was in April. There's the Xbox release in January. There's the GameCube release way in some other time. This was one of the first games that I think we've talked about that had these release dates actually coincide with each other and everything released on that day. And I remember as well, John, the same thing that those ads were everywhere. And in the GameCube ads, uh, when they were actually advertising the GameCube in around 2002, 2003, they always had that link, you know, that style of link, not Wind Waker link, but uh, that kind of edgy dark link that uh, ended up being in Soul Calibur. Yeah, and I think like this game is really one of the only notable fighting games to come to the GameCube. So PS2 Mm -hmm. had a lot of fighting games, Xbox had some as well, but this was like a big release 1v1 3D fighter on the GameCube. There were some other ones like like Bloody Roar 3 and stuff like that, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I don't think any of note. And I think you're right. Putting Link in the game was obviously a great move. Um, he's like super elfish in his character design, but it really is like if somebody was trying to design the Ocarina of Time Link for the next gen, Yes. Um, which Nintendo wasn't going to do with Wind Waker, but it's cool to get that sort of alternate reality. And I just found this out. Cloud Strife was supposed to be in the PS2 version, um, and they had to change them out last minute for the guy from Tekken. And so that's right. I'm sorry, PS2 fans. You guys got <laughs> robbed because that would have been way better to have Cloud in the game. <laughs> yeah, licensing issues prevented Cloud from being in Soul Calibur 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is really funny because, you know, uh, Cloud ended up being in uh, in Smash Bros. And a lot of people assumed that Cloud would never be in Smash because of that controversy, because of the fact that Cloud was developed, created. They apparently had done all the the actual rendering of the character. And it was like the last uh, 11th hour that they said, nope, can't have Cloud. So... Yeah, it's it's an interesting game in that like when we talk about a lot of multi-platform games from this generation, like we've covered game games like Medal of Honor or all the Marvel games. There's no real discernible difference between them other than maybe graphics and like the odd Game Boy Advance cable adaptability, which is hi- <laughs> neither here nor there. But with the with this game, uh, if you if you got the PlayStation Two version, you got Heiachi Mishima from Tekken. Uh, if you got the GameCube version, you got Link, obviously, which is what we've been talking about. And then if you got the Xbox version, you got Spawn from the comic book series and also the, a recent video game called Spawn Armageddon, which mm-hmm. uh, also came out on PlayStation 2 and GameCube. We'll be covering that game uh, in a few weeks. So it's interesting because Tekken is another uh, Namco published franchise. And then uh, Spawn Armageddon is another Namco published game. And Link from Legend of Zelda really has no connection to Namco, which kind of made me interested in in what happened there. Because, you know, in the last 20 years, you always hear people talking about how the GameCube version is the best one because, you know, Link is in there. Everybody played as Link. He's the (laughs) Ocarina of Time Link that we never got in an actual game, except for maybe Twilight Princess was close, but not quite there. This was really that, that Link rendered that we saw at Space World before the GameCube came out. And I really just wanted to know how this partnership between Nintendo and Namco came about, because up until this point, I don't think Link was in any other games aside from Zelda. I was going back to try and find anything, and I couldn't unless it was like some ripoff game. I don't know if Mike or John, if you guys know of any games that Link was in other than Nintendo games before this. Yeah, I I can't really think of anything. I think obviously Nintendo was really cautious with their characters, but in the GameCube era, I think they were just falling behind. 
And so it was kind of a cool idea to put Link in there. Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder, like, okay, so when, what year did Wind Waker come out? 2003. So the same okay. year. Okay. So I almost wonder if it was like a, hey, you know, we know some of you don't like the design of Wind Waker, but check this out. Like, we put <laughs> Link in Soul Calibur 2. And, you know, that's kind of the design that you wanted. I, I think I think there's some truth to that, honestly, because I, in my mind, I, I because they did create those renders for Link uh, for Space World and, uh, and you know for kind of look like an HD Ocarina almost. I'm I'm sure they used some of those assets and, and gave some of those assets to Namco and say, hey, here you go, you can use this to create this character. But yeah, it, it is. You're right, Neil. It's really strange that they did actually pull the trigger and put Link in here. Uh, they did, of course, put Mario, Luigi, and Peach in NBA uh, Street Volume Three, <laughs> which was pretty cool. That's uh, true. And, and so this, this definitely, like we've said many times on this show, was the era for this kind of experimentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I love, I love Nintendo for it. Mm-hmm. And it was specifically in this game because in May of 2002, Nintendo and Namco announced a partnership to jointly develop software uh, for the Nintendo GameCube and what was known as the Triforce Arcade Board. And mm-hmm. what this arcade board was, was it allowed arcade ports of uh, home video game consoles to be turned into arcade games and then arcade games to be turned into GameCube games. Uh, and the, the tech was shared between Nintendo, Sega, and Namco, uh, three companies that were obviously getting really close together in this generation. Like we saw all those dreams. Dreamcast ports come over to GameCube, and and this is why. And some of the games that came out of that, specifically for the arcade, were a lot of these were uh, in Japan only. But uh, really hardcore arcade listeners might have heard of these games. There's uh, these were done by Namco. There was Donkey Kong Jungle Fever, Donkey Kong Banana Kingdom, Mario Kart Arcade GP, and then GP2, as well as an unreleased Star Fox game. And then they also made with Sega the F Zero AX arcade oh, game, which you yeah. see sometimes on Instagram or whatever all the time as well as the virtua striker games which we've we've talked about in previous episodes so that that's why that's why exactly bandai and nintendo got together and put link in this game and it's the perfect match like sometimes today we see mario being put into ubisoft games now like the kingdom battle games and Star Fox being thrown into starlink but this was an existing franchise that already had two games in the series kind of confusing that they named soul Calibur two and it's the third in the series technically <laughs> but kind of, uh, yeah 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 technically <laughs> but uh yeah so that that's the exact reason why there was a business partnership development going on between those three companies and that's why we saw link in the gamecube version and then two technically namco properties in the other two you mentioned that it's kind of weird that you know it's called soul Calibur two you know for listeners that don't know there was a game called soul edge that came out on the playstation and then there was soul Calibur one mm-hmm. that was on the dreamcast and also in the arcades but that was what was weird about this game too if you weren't like a hardcore sega fan and you weren't following the dreamcast it just like appeared out of nowhere right you know i think a lot of um games media was hyped about it at the time and writing about it in magazines and things like that but it is bizarre to sort of like have a franchise i guess it's almost like the witcher 3 where it was like mm-hmm. you didn't really know about the first two games and all of a sudden everybody's talking about this game everybody's playing it and you're right the the performance on all three consoles was pretty equal it was like the game was pretty much the same game came out on all three consoles the same day mm-hmm. and that's very unusual for this generation 
That is the perfect video game sequel when a game comes out like a two or a three or more in the series and the player doesn't feel like that they have to play all the games before that. Like when Mm -hmm. I played Soul Calibur 2 at a birthday party for the first time, I never once thought I need to go pick up Soul Calibur 1. I just wanted to play Soul Calibur 2 because that was fun. But if you have a very story heavy game like Mass Effect or The Last of Us, you know, part two or three, uh, you really do feel like you have to go back and play those original games because you do. And there is a story in Soul Calibur, but it's very hidden. And if you just want to play the game for the fighting or with your friends, it's it's a ton of fun. You don't have to go back and play the first ones. I think of a game like Fallout as well, where everyone everyone started with Fallout 3. Uh, unless you're a real PC nerd, even like with Diablo, like a lot of people started with Diablo 3 and mm-hmm. some did go back and play the first one and the second one, but really like most people started with Diablo 3 that you hear talking about Diablo today. Yeah, and I think like yesterday I fired up Soul Calibur 2 because I was trying to figure out like, what was it about this game, like a 1v1 fighting game that made it so popular? And I think if you look at, well, first of all, it's a beautiful game. Like it visually, it looks great. Oh yeah. On whichever system you're playing. But right when you fire it up and you get into that opening cinematic, there was like so much care poured in this game. It's really a time where fighting games would get this kind of treatment, although this game went above and beyond. You had all these characters with great designs, backstories, you know, Link being in the game. So you get that kind of like a little bit of Nintendo in there as well. And then there was such a depth to this game. I went into the training practice mode and it was like each fighter has like a hundred different moves Mm -hmm. which is sort of like um it's a pro and a con there's tons of depth in this game if you really want to dive in but it's also like really difficult to understand Mm -hmm. it suffers from what a lot of fighting games had in the past where it's like to show you the moves it doesn't actually show you the buttons it says like bkg and all these different kind of things to figure out your combos or your special attacks Mm -hmm. So you have to be translating that in in your mind. And if you've like switched buttons in the controller, you got to figure it out from that, right? So a simple training program would have gone a long way. But the thing about this game was just mashing buttons was pretty fun too. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's like what most people did with this game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely did when I was a kid. I I hadn't really played a ton of fighting games at this point, but I I do vividly remember just mashing buttons as Link because I chose Link because that was the only one I knew. I eventually started playing more as Raphael because he's he's a great character. Big, (laughs) big Raphael fan. Uh, And I also booted up this week because, you know, got to do some research uh, for the pod. And uh, the first thing I noticed, surprisingly, was actually the audio. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but the audio on this game was just so crisp and clear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The 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 and I play games like with I have a little surround sound setup, and usually when I uh, boot up GameCube games, I can tell it's a game like a GameCube game. You know, I can tell it was made in two thousand three. It, it it sounds quite compressed. It's it's not great, uh, which is which is fine. Uh, but this one was like whoa! As soon as I heard the announcer talk, as soon as I heard. Uh, there's a little guitar, uh, like Spanish guitar riff uh, in the opening. Uh, I was like, oh my God, this this still sounds really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this might be one of the only games that I've ever uh, played recently that, that sounded that good for the GameCube. I think too, like the stages in this game are amazing. Like if you look into the backgrounds, like even if you pause it and you like to look around and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, the lighting and the settings and you've got, you know, like this Japanese setting with the cherry blossom trees and you're in dungeons and you're in like, you know, castles and ruins. And like they put so much detail and care into making these amazing looking stages. And it's funny. I wrote 
the game makes you want to explore it all. There's like a curiosity about it. Like I want to find out the stories of these characters and these stages, even though there's really no explore, exploration in the game. And I think one other thing too was that fighting with weapons made it easier to understand maybe and to use than a lot of fighting games at the time. Like you go and look at a game like Tekken, it's pretty complicated and it's kind of hard to get into, but something about like, oh yeah, I just push this button and my guy swings a sword and stuff like that. You can just kind of wrap your mind around that. And that's one of the reasons I think this game was accessible for a lot of people. Yeah, looking at this game as an outsider, like I'm not a huge fighting game fan like Mike. Like I like a few of the 2D ones and then I love Smash Bros. That's kind of like the peak for me. But looking at this from an outside perspective, it looks a lot like Tekken. And not knowing, I guess, the technicality of what Tekken is, I guess, like you said, this game is a bit more accessible to uh, outsiders like myself who had a blast playing this game, having really not had much experience playing even Street Fighter. I played like Final Fight, which is more of a beat-em-up, I guess, but in that kind of same vein. Uh, especially. But um, I was going to say, did either of you guys play any of the Soul Calibur games after 2? Because I feel like just after Soul Calibur 2, all of a sudden, like, no one was talking about it anymore. It wasn't at parties. But they kept coming out. Like, we have six Soul Calibur games now that were released as recently as on the PS4 and Xbox One. But I never hear anybody talking about it. I always just hear throwbacks to, you know, Soul Calibur 2 being the gr- the greatest game of, of 2003. I think that's because you're not, you don't talk to, who, who do you talk to who plays fighting games, right? No, it's a good question. And I, I, I wrote this, you know, and, and I'm not an expert on fighting games either, but I think 2D fighters had their time in the early to mid 90s. And then once we got into 3D games, we got a lot of 3D fighters and there was all kinds And it's not like fighting games ever left, but to me, this is the last big fighting game that was in the public consciousness until, you know, Street Fighter 4 or some of these other fighting games. You know, now you look at the fighting game landscape, there's so many great games. I mean, there's like Dragon Ball Z Fighters and um, all the ones that are super popular at Evo. But I think you're right. It was like, this game was really mainstream. Everybody was playing it. And I can't think of another fighting game that, accomplished that for a long time for every until, system yeah yeah until i would say street fighter 4 a lot of people see that as sort of like a resurrection of fighting games people actually investing in it and there's sort of an argument of like well companies weren't investing in great fighting games so people weren't buy- buying them and it kind of was like a cycle well soul caliber and fighting games in general are so tied to the arcade generation which really died in this generation like once the Wii came out and everyone had their peripherals at home that was the the last nail in the coffin for arcades and and this is really the last game that I can think of where it's like it was in arcades first and it was ported from arcade cabinets and it was in Japan first on arcades now the big fighting games come out and they're at GameStop or they're at EB Games day one and that's it it doesn't go to Palladium first it goes straight to your home so that that's another reason too and fighting games have sort of become a little bit more of a niche genre than they were in the 90s with games like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat where that was the big game They've sort of sunk into a little bit more of obscurity uh, today, which which is too bad. But I think that's got something to do with it as well. Yeah, and I think I, I remember people saying this that the Soul Calibur game on Dreamcast looked as good, if not better, in the home console version. It was like sixty frames per second, yeah. mm-hmm. and people were using I think like S video cables or something to get like a really good picture. And it was the beginning of the end for the arcades in terms of people went to the arcades because you were going to get dazzled because there was something that you just couldn't get at home. Right. And by the time we got to the PS2, Xbox One, GameCube generation, 
Um, a lot of games had caught up or were better than what you could experience in the arcade. And you're right. It was tied to the arcade at the time and the death of the arcade was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this game was like, you have this incredible home port of an arcade game. You didn't need to pay 25 cents anymore or whatever. <laughs> it's probably a dollar at that time. And you could just play over and over and over again with your buddies, right? Right. Yeah, and that's, you know, over and over again, so addicting. Like you said, on Vancouver Island, just playing it constantly. That's I remember that too. Just, you know, you, you just keep going uh, for hours, hours on end. It's such an addicting game to play. Even today when I was playing it, you know, when I would die, I'm like, okay, well, I gotta go. To, I gotta go again. I gotta keep going. I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't just stop because it is. There's such beauty in the simplicity of this game. I think where where I think you talked earlier how some of these fighting games at the time were trying to do too much. Almost, they were trying to do be too complex for what they needed to be. I think Soul Calibur gets right in the sweet spot of being easy enough to use, but but also being a, a bit complex for people who really want to dive into it. But uh, John, uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about Soul Calibur before we let you go? Yeah, just one thing I wanted to add. When I was playing this game, I was like, man, I kind of wish this was more than a fighting game. <laughs> Looking at the world that they created yes. and the characters, I was like, this is so interesting. You know, I wish this was like a big action RPG or something like that. It wasn't mm. possible at the time, but I would love for them to even revisit like the designs and characters of Soul Calibur 2 turn it into an action RPG, something between Diablo and like Genshin Impact. Yeah. Um, I know that they tried to make a game called Soul Calibur Legends on the Wii and there were some spinoffs, but man, I just saw huge potential in this game. But, you know, still a beautiful game, still a great game. If you find it out there in the wild, uh, make sure to pick it up. I have a copy on the GameCube and I'll be looking for one on the Xbox too if I can find one Uh, just because it's... uh, yeah, we just a fun game. We don't get enough Spawn love in 2020, in the 2020s, <laughs> so any, right. any Spawn stuff that we can get would be fantastic by me. I would love that, absolutely. Yep, no, oh, definitely. I'm sure a Spawn reboot is on the way. God, I hope so. I love that movie. For, what is it, 1999 or something like that? God, that would be so good. <laughs> All right, John, thank you very much for coming on today. We really appreciate it, and uh, please take this time to plug your show right here. Hey, thank you guys uh, for having me. You can follow me at JohnJ3000 on Twitter, no H involved in that, or JohnJ3000 on YouTube, and love to have you over. You can hear my gaming hot takes. And we were actually on uh, the Stream 3000 episode. Uh, If you go back to, what episode was it now? If you go on John's channel there back a couple months, we were on the April 23rd episode, so you can hear us talk about the GameCube there as well. That's right. Uh, Thank you again, John, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope to have you back on real soon. Thank you, guys. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you, John, for coming on. That was amazing. Uh, Love to have people on to talk about their memories of this game because it it is a game that is so universal. Uh, Really Mm -hmm. the only fighting game I can think of in my mind other than maybe Smash that is so universal for this time. And so tied to the GameCube, like it's the game, it's the game on GameCube that you think is an exclusive, but then you find out <laughs> isn't, and you get disappointed when you find out that Link was only on the GameCube version, and when you go to someone's house with a PlayStation Two and he's not there, it's just a little bit disappointing. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, Mike, I think it's time that we uh, moved on with the Soul Calibur Two topic with our next guest of the show. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All right, sounds good. I'll let you introduce them right now. All right, and joining us today is Jedi Geek Girl, who has the amazing podcast I Rebel, and uh, all about Star Wars. Love Star Wars, of course, here. 
But before we talk about Soul Calibur, we do have a question for you, and it is, did you own a GameCube back in the day? Before I answer your question, thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm a huge fan, and I, it's an honor being on. Thank you. Oh, uh, of course. Of course. Our pleasure. So to answer your question, yes, I did have a GameCube back in the day. Perfect. And what color was that GameCube? I believe it was black, but honestly, I have had so many GameCubes, I don't remember. <laughs> wow. Have you ever owned an orange GameCube? No, no, I, I haven't had that one, but I've had like three or four, I think, so it all, it's all a blur to me, so. We, we, Neil, we have to find someone who's owned a Spice Orange GameCube. We, I don't think we've had a guest on yet who has that. I don't think so. It's only a matter of time. I think we might as well just be the ones to buy one. <laughs> I, I'm interested to know, though, have you played the game? Did you play the GameCube to the point where it stopped working, or was it like a rage quit sort of situation? Because I still have the same GameCube that I got back in 2000 and, uh, 2004, and it still works just fine. So I'm curious to know, like, what were the issues with at least one of the GameCubes? Did they just stop reading discs? So my issue was growing up, I was always the person that traded my stuff in. So like I had a oh, GameCube and I had games and I used to trade them for another game. And then I traded the GameCube cube to an Xbox, back to a GameCube, to a PlayStation, to a GameCube. Uh, I've, I've had so many of them, I don't remember, but it was just, <laughs> it, it was because of my economy. I wasn't able to accumulate my GameCube collection, I kept trading stuff in, so. Okay. Yeah, see, my GameCube is so old that I'm just nervous that every time I put a game in there, it's just going to burst into flames because, like, the fans stop working or something. But <laughs> so far, so good. It's just very dusty. That's all. So far, so good. And then, of course, our other question that we have today is, who is your main in Soul Calibur 2? That would be the queen herself, Talem. Very nice. Very nice. For me, I played Link because... You know, we're Link, basic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's Link. Imagine, like the, you know, as a kid playing Link on the GameCube, that was pretty amazing. And so I take it that you did have Soul Calibur two for the GameCube specifically. I did. I I remember. I believe I bought it. I'm not sure if I rented it, but I did own it at one point in time. Yes. Yeah, so that, that was the same with me. I'm not sure if I rented it or owned it. Uh, it. It was one of those games that it seemed to just appear a lot of times. And I played it at friends' houses so much, too. So all those memories were just a blur. Yeah, I, I played it for the first time at a birthday party and then never actually owned it. I only played it at friends' houses because I think I had a few friends that owned it. And none of my family members were ever going to play Soul Calibur 2 with me since they're all they don't play games so i'm definitely not going to get them in with soul Calibur 2 <laughs> but i did eventually pick it up from a used video game store here in toronto about five years ago for 20 bucks and it's doubled in price since then which is wild so it's becoming quite the cult classic and i mean gamecube games have gone up in price dramatically in the last two years so i'm not surprised that this one is one of those games that caught that wave mm -hmm. but yeah let's uh let's let's dive right into it what are your memories of playing soul Calibur 2 well being up late at night Going through story mode for the second time when the difficulty is higher, cussing mm -hmm. up a storm because it was, you know, it was difficult, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And that's when the first GameCube got thrown out the window. That's, <laughs> that, that, now we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there was some missions that were kind of like difficult where you could only kill the enemy if you hit him against the wall or you had to like counter. I was never really good at being defensive and countering. I was always offensive. It was always about mm. speed and getting the uh, killed in before they were able to uh, defend and deflect. I think okay. that's the, I think Soul Calibur is the reason why I'm still really bad at counters. There's something about counters uh, and just the, a defensive gameplay for fighting games that my brain cannot handle. 
and I, I, I attribute it to Soul Calibur too because you're right. That was my plan of attack, plan of attack, and I think most people's plan of attack uh, when you're a kid is just you know attack, attack. all the time. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that before your opponent can can hit you, especially the, the the AI, right? The AI usually took a second or two to to fight back. But Mike, you're so good at the Soulsborne games. Like, don't you need to be good at parrying for a lot of those? Oh, or? I had to learn how to be good when I did uh, uh, Sekiro. I see. <laughs> okay, I see, I see. Because, yeah, you're like the Sekiro and the Dark Souls guy of the group. So I would think that you would need to know how to do that now. So maybe you're actually going to be way better at Soul Calibur going back to it. Uh, I, I was okay. Uh, it, you know what? Soul Calibur going back to it is more difficult than I remembered. Uh, it, it, You know, it is, like we talked about, it is an easy fighting game to pick up you know for for a casual uh a gamer but uh it, it, it can get difficult to really master weird because for me it was kind of the opposite for me i found it to be easier than i remember but then again it's been a while since i did the harder difficulty i'm not quite to those parts yet but mm -hmm. for me i was kind of surprised at my muscle memory because of course i played the heck of it back in the day and 15 years later 15 ish years later i'm picking it up and i know all the combos and moves and it, it's just like i never dropped a game for a day isn't isn't that amazing when that happens it's so it's so weird when you're able to just turn your brain off and start playing again I, I didn't have that quite because uh, I don't think I played it as much as, as most people or, you know, constantly, I, although it was obviously a very addicting game. But, uh, yeah, it's such a cool feeling when you kind of just pick something up for the first time after years and years. You're like, whoa, how do I remember this? <laughs> how do I remember what to do in this situation? It's funny how like fighting games specifically seem to have the whole muscle memory thing of video games down like i think that of all the video game genres it seems like fighting games are the one that people can say oh i'll go back to this in a few years and and get it like when i pick up a an adventure game or like a like a third person exploration game like uncharted or, or whatever it might be like zelda like breath of the wild i'll have to like take an hour or, or two to like get used to the controls and my items and everything but it's funny like you get to the point where there's even like what's the konami code like up up down down left right left right like it's a meme to the point where like remembering the button prompts to do certain things especially fighting games just seems to be part of being a fighting game fan is that it's like a badge of honor when you can do the when you can play the game without ever looking at the controller <laughs> Like you see a Smash Bros. player and like they're they're inputting like hundreds of button prompts like a minute to, to play the game. It's just what you have to be able to know how to do to get good at the games. The only combo I can do from memory is just uh, exiting out of Smash Bros. <laughs> <laughs> the L start, A, B, whatever. I can yeah, I can yeah. do that quicker than anything else. <laughs> I know that so well. It's just like a whoop, you know, one motion. Mm, that's funny. But yeah, let's uh, let's go back into Soul Calibur uh, here and just the franchise in general. Have you played other Soul Calibur entries after Soul Calibur Two? I did. I played Soul Calibur 3 and I played Soul Calibur 4. They never really hit me as much as Soul Calibur 2. I mm -hmm. think Soul Calibur 2 is the best of the Soul Calibers, but then again, I haven't played, I think, is it up to 5 or 6? And I didn't play the first one, but it was just how familiar I am with Soul Calibur 2. The other one just didn't quite land the same way. And part of it has to do with my girl, Talem, not quite being the same as she is in two as she is in three and four like she was like slowed down a bit and she wasn't mm. effect as effective or again maybe it was just because i played the hell out of so called but two 
I, I, I'm I'm surprised. I thought you would have played uh, Darth Vader in uh, in Soul Calibur Four. <laughs> I was gonna say the no. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, Yoda. It was Yoda. Oh yeah, Yoda was also in in Four too. Yeah, that's right. Did Star Wars being in Soul Calibur Four give it any extra points for you though? Because you're the biggest Star Wars fan that we know. So we would think that the game like that would have been really cool because they also added uh, the character from Force Unleashed. What uh, Star Killer is his name? Star Killer. Yeah. It yeah. was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and. I guess in, in you know because you played it so much that's one reason why you think it stands out but but in your opinion other than that why do you think Soul Calibur 2 is the game to go back to especially for fighting games for the GameCube mm-hmm. the collectability like trying to unlock all the weapons and it, uh, uh, beat all the missions and beat the game with every character and getting all the costumes and the artwork there was just so much to do and unlock that you just kept on coming to the game. Like, I remember, oh, it's like, okay, I beat the story mode with Tim. Okay, I've got to beat it with Ivory, now Link. And mm-hmm. you kept going to the harder characters. So I think with that amount of replayability, you were able to get a handle. And Smash Brothers did this too, where if you wanted to unlock a lot of things and, you know, if you're a collector, in-game collector stuff, you got so familiar with not only your main, but other characters because you had to if you want to collect everything. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent true. Yeah, and and you're right. I kind of knew that world through melee, and when I could do the same thing in Soul Calibur, I was like, oh, this is cool. Is this how all fighting games work? <laughs> but but it does. They they don't like Soul Calibur. We taught we had a another guest on the show earlier, and they talked about how there's so much in Soul Calibur too. It just and that's something that you really don't get from fighting games before or today. It's so hard to communicate how much is in this game just by reading the back of the case or even by reading the Wikipedia write-up because, like, you read what's in the game and it sounds like just a regular multiplayer fighting game. Like, there's an arcade mode, a versus battle, a team battle, there's a versus team battle, and then there's time attack, which sounds very textbook uh, fighting game. It doesn't sound like that there's anything over the top in, in this one. There's 23 fighters in it. Like it sounds very textbook fighting game. But then as you start to play it and you start to realize that there's layers to it and layers and layers, like it's just this endless game and there's so much content in it. Uh, one thing I did want to know as well is that since that this game is also on PlayStation 2 and Xbox, the, and there there are slight differences mainly between the characters. Did the difference in controller make a difference between the gameplay? Because I would think that the GameCube one would be the preferred way to go just because so many GameCube players knew Melee and that's how they got their start with fighters. But I was reading reviews and actually the GameCube version I've read was weighed down by the controller and that the PlayStation 2 or Xbox were the preferred way to go. But again, I've never played the PlayStation 2 or Xbox, so I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah, I don't know. I think I might have played the Xbox One. Obviously, I played Soul Calibur 3 on the PlayStation, but the GameCube was obviously my preferred thing, so I don't remember. I think maybe I have, but I, I don't think I have enough experience to say one way or another for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would love to have... I don't own an original Xbox, and I also don't own a PlayStation 2 anymore. I would love the Xbox version just to play as Spawn, and I actually do like the Xbox controller because it's so big. But I'll say it again and again, the GameCube controller is so comfortable to hold. I can't imagine that, like, I, I don't find, I didn't find any issue playing Soul Calibur 2 with the GameCube no. controller. So I, I can't imagine that the PS2 and the Xbox controller are so much better that it takes points away from the GameCube version. But that's just me. I, I did want to touch on one thing uh, as we kind of close out the Soul Calibur part of this episode. The opening sequence of this game is 
one of the most hype things I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god! And I forgot about it. I, I, and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that I just press start every time I, you know, would start up uh, playing Soul Calibur when I was a kid. But uh, this week, when I went back and researched, I watched the whole cinematic, and it looks beautiful. It looks so, so, so good. Better than almost anything else that was on the GameCube at that time. And the the music, like we talked earlier, how clear it is. Uh, the announcing, it just everything i was i was so hyped by watching this again the character animations like when they enter into the ring and when they win is also very creative as well i love that in fighting games when they have like a, a win animation uh sort of like I, I just thought for some reason about marvel nemesis like the characters have really cheesy comic booky sort of lines that they have and it gets very repetitive the more and more you play it but it is like a special part of the game is when you see a character walk on screen and say something or or do something from the movie or the game that they're based on it, it's really cool and again something that you really only see in fighting games like you never see it in a racing game like in mario kart like you never see the characters getting in the carts or getting out of the carts when they win like there's not that level of personality that you get in a fighting game mm -hmm. and it's really cool I also really appreciate the weapon demonstration mode where you have like a character who will like do practice the fighting thing and the camera's going down the stage or whatever. And yeah, it, it's, a, it's something that they added to the game that they really didn't have to add. It's just something you can sit back and have a couple of pieces of popcorn and watch them <laughs> demonstrate their weapon. Yeah, that was uh, that's a good point. Thank you for mentioning that because I completely forgot about that until now, and we haven't brought that up yet. But yeah, that was that was a, such a a small detail that made the game so much uh, so much richer. You know, mm -hmm. it, it did feel like there was so much lore around this. Now I don't know about you, but I like zoned out during this story. Yeah, <laughs> what is the story, Neil? Do you... <laughs> I don't have a, a ton of information on the story. One thing that I do know about it is that, and I actually kind of appreciate this in video games, is when the, the timeline between, uh, in this case, the first Soul Calibur game and the second Soul Calibur game is, is the same. Like, they both take place five years apart. So yeah. Soul Calibur came out five years before Soul Calibur 2, and the events of Soul Calibur 1 took place five years before Soul Calibur 2. So it makes the world feel very lived in but i honestly don't know too much about the story here jedi do you know much about the story you played through it twice that one night so do you have anything to say about that well just that there's like gates that you're trying and the show cowboy is like a demonic weapon yeah. that corrupts mm -hmm. and it it i don't know <laughs> like, 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 like i said i just you know i i you know i you start the story mode i'm reading a text and then a couple things and i just give up i just yeah, I go back to my popcorn. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Story modes in, in fighting games, I've never really needed them. I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, I just want to, I just want to fight. Like, I, I'll unlock characters by playing, fighting against other characters as certain ones. Like, I'll play through everybody once just to unlock everything, get all the, st get all the stages and and the songs or whatever. That's totally fine with me. But like, when there's cutscenes in between, it's usually so obtuse and makes no sense. Like, why are we fighting in this ring on this two D plane in between the world ending? It's just all very dramatic for what the in between actual. Game gameplay portions are one thing that was missing from this game though i will say is or maybe not missing like I, it wasn't like terrible but just like a character creation mode would have been really neat and they they added that in soul caliber 3 uh which yep. is great but it would have been really neat to have had that sort of like the wrestling games which were huge on n64 and gamecube as well uh, to have like a character creation mode would have been really funny especially on gamecube another memory that i have is i forget his name but the guy with the staff, I remember playing with my friend and 
he, he was always so cheap because, you know, the staff is a long way weapon and there's this right. move where you just poke it in front of you and you just keep it. It's like, I can't do anything because yep. you keep doing the staff <laughs> against me. It's like our friend, uh, our friend of the show, John, who was on earlier said the exact same thing, except he was the one who had the staff. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, is your friend John 3000? Because that's exactly what he did with his friends. The character's name is Killick. I believe uh, it's the guy with the long staff. Yeah. And yeah, there's always that one character in, in a fighting game that can either fly or shoot range weapons. And it's just like, it makes it not fun if they just spam that the entire time. <laughs> like whoever plays his pit in Smash Bros is just going to spam the arrows the entire time. Another thing that I want to mention, and I don't know if I was the only person who did this. I thought I was. But one of the things I did is when I get done beating my enemies and after, you know, their life is depleted, I would grapple them in my own way of doing a fatality from Mortal <laughs> Kombat. I don't know if anybody else did it, but I thought that was like a, okay, this game doesn't have fatality, but I'm just going to grapple them when they're already dead. <laughs> I love that. I, I, my goal was always to try and knock them off the stage. <laughs> that was, that was uh, especially as a kid, that was one thing that kind of came back to me, muscle memory, when I was playing was, was to just getting them off the stage. Cause I was thinking to myself, like, how did I, how did I beat some of these characters? It was, oh, right. I just kept pushing them, <laughs> which doesn't work against actual, uh, when you have friends over, cause they're like, no, I'm not going to, I'm yeah, just going to grapple they, you. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're a little smarter than the AI, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, before we let you go, uh, anything else you would like to uh, talk about for soul caliber two? Yes. I have one last thing. Sure. And sure. that is the poorly named Maxi. Because anybody knows what that's a reference to, knows. I always like that's such an unfortunate name. What 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 is that a reference to? Maxi feminine items. Oh Max! Oh my oh. God! You know what? I never even thought of that. <laughs> oh, I just thought it was like a cute name for Max. Yo, I didn't know. You're totally right, though. This is this has completely changed my my. <laughs> my He's wearing all white this. too. That is yeah, too bad. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. right. Oh hmm. my God! <laughs> I just heard your head explode. <laughs> <laughs> They never changed his name either. He's all the way from yeah. Soul Calibur up until Soul Calibur, I guess the most recent one with six. So oh, maybe man. when Soul Calibur seven comes out, they'll finally change his name. <laughs> but anyways, uh, thank you so much, Jedi Geek Girl, for coming on today. We've had a great time talking with you about Soul Calibur two. And uh, please take this time to plug your own show right here. Thank you guys so much again for having me on. I'm looking forward to you having me back on. My podcast is called I Rebel, a Star Wars podcast. My latest episode is with you guys covering Rogue Squadrons. Ooh. It is not out yet due to it being summertime, and so I just got sidetracked, so I'm a little bit behind. Mm. But you can find my podcast on any podcast service. Just search Ivy Bell, a Star Wars podcast. You can find me everywhere at Jedi Geek Girl, and you can find my podcast on social media outlets at Destiny. Yeah, no, it was great to have you on our show now, and we'll, of course, have you back to talk about, uh, we'll have a Star Wars episode probably sometime within the next year. Before the library is said and done, we'll definitely have to cover the rest of the Star Wars games, and you're definitely on our list of guests to have on there, so we're excited to have you back. Will do. Awesome, awesome. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you so much, Jedi Geek Girl, for coming on today and talking about your memories of this great game, this 10 out of 10 game for me, Neil. This is honestly one of the best games that we've played uh, so far on this podcast, and I love every second of it. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it, it probably is a 10, like, for a fighting game. It's missing the character creator mode, but that doesn't mean it necessarily has to be docked a point for that. The things that it does have are phenomenal. Like, it's a, it's an amazing game. I love Soul Calibur 2. I love the, everything about it, the box art, like, the character designs, the music. The UI, which we didn't even talk about, is it's pulled directly from an arcade. So it's got yeah. those flashing messages that are super nostalgic for anybody like us that, that went to arcades as kids and never actually played the games. We just sat near them or pretended like we were playing them while you see that flashing insert a coin uh message on the screen or even when you do play the game and it says you know insert a coin to continue or press the start button to continue that that whole ui in the game is so nostalgic and completely tied to arcades like if you showed that to a kid now like a young kid they would have no idea what any of that means like they would just assume it's a flashing message but they don't know that it's taken from the arcade cabinet messages that's how it was displayed that's how video games were displayed at one point uh before voice actors and everything this is how we knew what to do yeah and it's a, a very nostalgic uh, part of the game which which i love um i'm sure that they've probably added that in some way to the new games as well i doubt that they've left that behind i hope they haven't anyway anyways i think it is time to read the back of the case neil what do you think i think that's good mike but first victor hit us with that sweet jingle it's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Transcending history and the world, a tale of souls and swords eternally retold. Four years have passed since the spirit world, Soul Calibur defeated the evil Soul Edge. At the end of that fateful battle, the shards of the shattered Soul Edge were scattered across the world and Soul Calibur was lost to the void. Now, the evil that still resides in the shattered shards of Soul Edge threatens again to engulf the world in darkness. There's the plot. There you go. Done. There's there's the plot. Exactly. <laughs> Man, it's such a cool story. Like, the box art looks so nice. I love that with Link on the front and See, Spawn. See, you know what? And, and... I actually don't love the box art. I'm, really? Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. Uh, so, one thing that artwork for, whether it's any media, really, if you have a lot of white on the case, it looks very bland. And okay. I, I think that happened with Sunshine. That happened with this for sure. I noticed in a lot of these Switch games, they're so colorful. There's so much stuff going on constantly. There's almost no white space because that's kind of what you want for a game art, like a game cover art design. Soul Calibur just feels like it's trying to be, it's trying to be very mature for sure. It's trying to be a little edgy. And I love the logo. I love the the style of how they did the characters. But I just wish that there was a bit more darkness, a bit a less white space on that cover. Okay, I'm actually on the the way that I get the back of the cases for a lot of the games that we read is from MobyGames.com. If you're a video game fan, I highly recommend this website. It has really neat uh, facts about games. It's got like trivia and box art obviously and there's this really neat promo art from germany it's from a magazine called end games from uh, october 2003 so that's actually the month that i got my gamecube huh. yeah that's kind of funny but uh, it is like what you're describing it's got uh, link and, and all the soul caliber characters here lined up behind him and it's very colorful very anime-esque i think that this would have been probably what you're envisioning being yes. uh, on, on a gamecube uh, box and Link uh, is obviously like the uh, the Ocarina of Time Link that everybody loved at this time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is probably something more like what you're describing. But I, I don't know. I, I like the cover art. Oh, of... I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just nitpicky. <laughs> yeah, I know that's all right. But just because it's kind of unique, like it looks really cool. It stands out. Like if you put it next to a bunch of other GameCube games, like I just love seeing Soul Calibur lined up with a bunch of other 
Nintendo published games, quite frankly. Like, I just think Soul Calibur fits in the GameCube library so perfectly, even though Nintendo did not make it. I agree. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. All right, Mike. Now I think is a good time to move on to the next game on our list, which is Bloody Roar. But before we do that, we need to introduce Dan to the show today. Now, listeners will remember that Dan was actually on the show back on our Nickelodeon episode to talk to us about Beach Bandits. He's been on a very long hiatus, but we're excited to have him back. Now, Dan, when you played Bloody Roar, were you uh, a purist that only played the GameCube version, or did you play a bunch of the other games that appeared on every other console? My experience of Bloody Roar was pretty much like bloody roar 2 on mm-hmm. i think it was the ps2 and that was fun uh but you're right there's a million versions of this game like there's a bunch of versions but like also it it it, it i would like to see another installment come out because it's been a while mm-hmm. like it went bloody roar 1 in japan in here it was called beasterizer which is <laughs> which is so random then there's bloody roar 2 and then bloody roar 3 has like six different versions mm-hmm so there's, there's Bloody Roar 3, which is like a cabinet. Bloody Roar <laughs> Primal Fury, which is the GameCube version I... of Primal uh, Fury, which adds like anime cutscenes mm-hmm. and like takes away the blood, which is like <laughs> funny That's for ironic. a Bloody Roar game, right? <laughs> and then there's, for the Xbox, is Bloody Roar Extreme, which I have on the shelf. Nice. And then Japan has also three different versions. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and all yeah. of them have like different little balance changes and things like that. Uh, mm. So yeah. It, it's the game that was never quite perfectly finished. Like, they just wanted to keep going back to tweak it a little bit. It almost reminds me of Street Fighter Two, which seems to keep on getting Ultimate Editions and everything. So specifically today, we're talking about Bloody... Specifically today, we're talking about Bloody Roar Primal... F- Specifically today, we're going to be talking about Bloody Roar Primal Fury, which was released on March 19th, 2002. It's also known, as Dan said, as Bloody Roar Extreme in Japan. And then the Xbox version uh, came out in North America almost a full year later on May 27th, 2003. The games were developed by Ating, which uh, is a developer that we actually talked about back on the Naruto episode, uh, episode 47. They were making a ton of fighting games in this generation. Uh, the game is published by Activision in North America and then Hudson Soft in Japan. It's also on Xbox, and then there's the other versions in arcades and PS2. Uh, the GameCube game actually rates a 7 out of 10, whereas the Xbox version rates a 6 out of 10. Uh, and the GameCube version today, if you wanted to pick it up, it would be around $50. And if it wasn't at, at obvious, least. oh yeah, that's like, that's with no manual, like just the disc. So that was like the lowest price I could find was on average around $50. I usually don't go for the prices that are like sealed, uh, 9.9 rated, you know, all that crap. So if you're looking for an affordable copy, that's around what it is today. So this is actually the first fighting game on the GameCube. I'm not counting Melee. I mean like a traditional arcade fighting game. Since this game came out only a few months after the GameCube's launch, this would be the first one out there. And it doesn't look too bad, actually. No, uh, and uh, Neil, you must like this game because it looks uh, looks like Beast Wars, and we know we all know how much you like Beast Wars. It looks a lot like Beast Wars. I was just watching some of the gameplay today, and like some of the animations or the characters just reminded me of more anthropomorphic Beast Wars, since they are based on humans. Like humans are transforming into the beasts. I was just getting some major Beast Wars vibes, seeing like you know shiny looking beetles and like upright werewolf kind of characters it just reminded me of a beast wars fighting game and actually it's kind of funny like dan mentioned all of the different uh names of the of the game 
Beast Wars does the same thing where in Canada, actually, Beast Wars for at least a short while was named Beasties. Beasties, beca- that's yeah, right. Yeah, because they didn't want to have like war in the title, which is, is funny because now like everything has war in the title. So this has, it kind of reminded me of that as well. So this kind of was like a, a bit of a Beast Wars game, but also like Animorphs too, kind of a mix between the two. We never got an Animorphs game, which is a, which is a, an absolute tragedy. Dan, uh, talk to us a little bit about this game. What what got you into Bloody Roar? Was it like a random blockbuster rental, or did you actually actively seek this game out? It was at a at a friend's house. I like just went over and was just like blown away by like the co- like. So this is Bloody Roar two, which is like a bit more colorful. Like the actual graphics and whatnot in, in Primal Fury are like much better. But yes. I was drawn to two's like super colorful, very interesting character designs. Like, the one thing that Bloody Roar has going for it is just, like, the very hype character designs and fast combo-y action. So, like, yeah, as you mentioned, there's, like, a Scarab Beetle character. There's, like, a yeah. Chameleon. Uh, like, 2 and Onward had really cool character designs that still stick with me, even though, like, I play, like, a million other games. Like, I still remember these, like, Bloody Roar characters. Just the whole gameplay and the aesthetic and everything. It's the perfect game for a teenage boy in 2002. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just, it's just like you're banging action figures together. It's just like that. Like these random characters that really don't look like they should fit together. Like these random animals, ninja fighter characters sort of thing. And it it is, it is like a beautiful game to look at actually. I, I really liked watching it. Like it was just really neat to see. The characters are even up close. Like in a lot of fighting games, the characters get really small. It seemed like in this game, they got huge. Like they the two characters almost took up like 85% of the screen, which yeah. was neat. And I even love the anime cutscenes that, that Dan mentioned there. Like just watching them, it, it looked kind of like almost like Yu-Gi-Oh characters from the Yu-Gi-Oh anime. Uh, I would have loved to see a show like this on like YTV. I don't remember anything like that though, but just watching it, I was really like, I would have thought like, man, 12 year old Neil would have loved a show like this on like right between Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball Z. Something like this would have been really cool to like watch over dinner or something. They're they're well done too, like the cutscenes. I just I just don't understand them. <laughs> no, because <laughs> like watching gameplay and uh, you know there's this all obviously there's this big story arc that's going on and all of a sudden you're just fighting again. It's like okay, I guess this was just wedged in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The cutscenes are like like the art is cool. Like I mm-hmm. love that anime style, but like mm-hmm. the voiceover work. It's funny because I thought of you, Mike, when I was like you know doing a bit of research because in the Xbox version they took out the anime stuff. I was just like, oh, the anti the anti anime associations at it again. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't look at the GameCube uh, release because they're like, no one's gonna buy this. <laughs> <laughs> but once it's on Xbox, they're like, we're, we've gone too far. We're flying way too close to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that make this game different than something like a Soul Calibur or a Street Fighter is obviously the the beast gauge of the game, which is the sort of gauge that powers up depending on whether or not you're on a on a roll with hitting the other character or if the other character is, is hitting you, you fill up this beast gauge and once it's finally full, your character transforms into whatever it is that their spirit animal is or whatever. Uh, and th- that's kind of what separates this game from the other games out there is, is it has this sort of transformation aspect to it, which uh, made it pretty interesting. I mean, it adds another layer to the game that would have, again, brought someone like me into this where like I, I like Street Fighter games enough and like Final Fight, but it would have been really cool to have your characters sort of transform into something else because that was that was the thing back in the day like transformers and and animorphs and 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 whatnot uh it would have been really neat to have had something like this and i don't know how this game missed me i guess just because i wasn't a fighting game fan i wasn't in other than of course uh godzilla destroys all monsters but yeah (laughs) i really wish that i would have like found this game earlier because i think i really would have enjoyed something like that 
Now, now, Dan, do you know if this game ha- still has a community at all? Like the the franchise, is there um, a fighting community based around this game? The only competitive scene really was like one of the the Japanese versions of three. Mm-hmm. But like, this is one of those games where it's just like you want it to succeed. You want to see another iteration that like just like own hones in on like what makes it good and like makes it workable but it was just kind of plagued by i don't want to say plagued it it just never took off like there's yeah. like like as neil kind of like talked about like there's something there that's like unique and cool and like i'd love to see like a level where this game hits like the level of killer instinct or like you know another like really cool fighting franchise but like they're gonna have to like go under the hood and like see what makes this game unique and like really lean into it and Unfortunately, right now, I think Konami purchased Hudson Soft. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Konami currently holds the rights uh, to the franchise since uh, they absorbed Hudson Soft back in 2012. So as we all know, Konami is terrible at uh, holding their licenses since we never see any Castlevania. The only thing that they're ever going to do again is probably Metal Gear Solid. I'm sure that they'll probably bring back Silent Hill at some point, but this game is so far down Konami's Mm -hmm. list of things that they would bring back that it's just, it feels so far away from that even being possible, which is too bad because the last game in the series was Bloody Roar 4, which was released on PlayStation 2 in 2003. So between 1997, when Bloody Roar 1 was released and its final game, there's only six years there and it's been now 18 years so to see this game come back it's gonna take a lot of kickstarting i think yeah i did uh i did watch a really cool video that you sent me dan before this podcast which is uh by kbash uh and it's called the rise and fall of bloody roar i encourage anyone to seek that video out it's very educational for sure and uh basically explains the rise and fall of bloody roar which was a very quick rise and a very quick fall I mean, it's such a shame when you see stuff like that happen. But I mean, if it, it didn't find it, it didn't find an audience. And one of the things that I did like about the game is actually the music. Like just listening to it, it was a lot of fun. Like it had the cheesy '80s guitar solos, which was really random actually, uh, but made sense. Like it fit the aesthetic of it. But what really got me was during the fights, there'd be like this sort of saxophone music playing, which was interesting. Like it was still rock music, but then with like a Kenny G vibe, which was really neat. I'm kind of curious, or I'm kind of surprised at least that. We really haven't seen Bloody Roar characters in any other franchises. I can't think of any time that there's been any kind of crossover. And fighting games are just notorious for crossovers all the time. You're, you're constantly getting characters from different worlds, whether it's Tekken, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, you know, Smash, obviously. And Bloody Roar characters don't seem to ever rear their head anywhere. And I just thought that was really unique. Even for dead franchises, like, you know, you have Terry from... Uh, what's he from? Fatal, Fatal, Fatal Fury. Fury. Or, yeah. And like that game has been dead for like 20 years. <laughs> and, so. you're, and you're running out of precious time for uh, any Bloody Roar uh, character to end up on, on uh, Smash Bros. Ultimate. Since with the, <laughs> how many spots are left now? One? Just one. Oh. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a Bloody Roar character. <laughs> That'd be amazing. It's on my uh, my my list of uh, <laughs> is it what what, I, what I'm betting on for the last character for sure. Next to Earthworm Jim, of course. Earthworm Jim, I'm still holding strong. <laughs> but Dan, uh, before you go, I do have one last question, and it is what is your favorite character in Bloody Roar? Who's your main when you play Bloody Roar? Uh, this I'm gonna sound like an idiot. The Scarab guy, I don't know his name, <laughs> but the but the, uh, the Beetleborg fella, he's. Yes. Uh, that was that was the main design that like really drew my eye. Like there's like there's cool stuff like there's the the tiger guy and the the wolf guy and 
Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And like a bunch of other things that are are not animals, but like <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. But uh, but the scarab is like at least from my brain like the iconic like cool one that like drew me in. Yeah, and... yeah it's got that really nice shade of blue. And what what draws me in is actually the uh, wiki for Bloody Roar is that the character the name that or the character that you're bringing up here is his name is Stun, and the wiki. Mm. The fandom community around this is so specific that they even have his age. He was uh, 35 in Bloody Roar 2 and then 36 in Primal Fury. So 36 years old, putting him now at, I guess, 54. (laughs) (laughs) This 54-year-old beetle going strong. And he's six foot one, meaning that I am actually slightly taller than Stun. So I could probably take him. (laughs) I think you can take him, Neil. If you can take a couple geese... As we talked about earlier, <laughs> uh, you uh, you can take uh, the Beetleborg. Where are people getting Pack this from? A couple it's cans it... of Raid. <laughs> I don't know where people are getting this from. It says his <laughs> likes. Can't remember. Bracket was football. It was football. <laughs> oh no! I don't like anything now, but I used to like football. Said stun in that one cutscene. Jeez. Oh man. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for coming on. It's been too long, and we're glad that you could talk a little bit about Bloody Roar and the franchise. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. No worries. Yeah. If you need anything melee related, let me know. <laughs> cool all right take care man later what a nice young man what a nice young man thank you dan for coming on and sharing all your info about bloody roar a franchise that i think both of us would have loved to play back in the day and yeah it's good by both of us i really don't remember this game you know i remember seeing this game a lot at game stores and especially now i see this game a lot at game stores for quite a high price Mm so yeah we saw it yesterday the other day we were at uh, anc games down in toronto and we saw it under the under the glass case, and we're like, oh, hey, there it is. So it would be nice to pick this one up eventually. I really like it. I just don't know how much time I'll get out of it. I do love the idea of fighting games, but as soon as I start playing them, it's like I don't have the time to sink into this to get good for it to be fun. And like the can't like the there's not much of a story to it, which like there's no adventure mode in it or anything, which is too bad. I think I would have. <laughs> no, I would love the anime is the adventure mode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I would have loved to check out the anime. I think that that would be really cool if they could bring this back as like a Netflix series, like what Konami is doing with Castlevania. That would be really cool if they. Could dig back and bring this in i mean i can see that They're, they can't make games so <laughs> <laughs> might as well make a movie or a tv they series. just have gyms and casinos in japan which is weird as hell i i know that's right the konami can, casinos that is weird. so weird to see konami when you go to japan it's not what we think about it here in north america all right mike let's uh, move on to our next game but first let's read the back of the case for bloody roar primal fury let's do it which is so hard to say <laughs> fight like an animal Wage an all-out assault as one of 16 fighters, each with the ability to transform mid-fight into their alternative hyperbeast life form. Fight to finish in two-player head-to-head and single-player modes through 10 interactive and destructible multi-level arenas. With fast and furious arena action, fighting has never looked this good or been this brutal. It honestly is pretty impressive for March 2002, like this game. Mm -hmm. I I gotta give it a lot of credit there. Yeah, for a for, like I said, the first fighting game ever on GameCube. I think it's a good entry. Mm-hmm. It's just too bad that it did get overshadowed by games like Soul Calibur 2, which we already talked about. But Neil, and actually, uh, although it's not technically a GameCube exclusive, it does have the only four at the top because at the time it was mm-hmm. a GameCube exclusive when it came out. 
It was. It was a GameCube exclusive. The Xbox version was very much delayed, which I think was part of why it had that sticker on there. So if you if you buy the GameCube version, it does say only four. And actually, the creator of the game did say that Primal Fury Bracket Extreme was always destined for the GameCube, which we've heard before. Like Resident Evil 4 was destined to only be on GameCube, and we saw what happened there. Mm-hmm. I think that they said that when the GameCube was just coming out, and everybody thought it was going to be the biggest thing. And it was. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> and once they figured out that the GameCube was not doing what they hoped it would they had to pivot and put it on xbox and it was already on ps2 with bloody roar 3 so but anyway mike let's move on to the last game of the day what do you say yeah let's do it all right so the last game of the day is rave master fighting live which was released on march 8th 2005 which is three years after the japanese release so this one is a much later gamecube game it was developed and published by konami it's a gamecube exclusive it rates about a six out of ten and if you wanted to pick it up today it's around sixty dollars now i think that that's just because this is a bit of a cult classic it's a bit of a hidden gem if you want to call it that i'm just watching gameplay right now this game is a mess (laughs) <laughs> and that's 60 on the low end too, Neil. I often see this in behind cases a lot. I swear mm-hmm. every video game store I've ever gone to has a Rave Master, uh, you know, a mint condition <laughs> Rave Master behind the case. <laughs> so I always thought that this game, just by its title, was a, a rhythm game or a dance game. Yeah, yeah, like a rave means completely different things, I guess, depending on the culture. Like I, I thought it literally, I, I thought the same thing. I thought this was kind of like a DJ hero sort of game i had no idea this was a fighting game until we actually it also says fighting live like live you know so i was like oh okay I, it could have been kind of like a battle rhythm game i don't know if those even exist but like a rhythm based <laughs> yeah, yeah based game yeah. i'm trying to think of something uh, akin to that but i can't beat think of saber anything. like the the, sure. the vr beat saber i mean it's, it's it's not necessarily a battle against anyone but you know that that's that style is there mm-hmm. and this follows the story of an anime that i am not at all familiar or it follows a manga that i am not at all familiar with are you no i i know of it uh mm-hmm. i don't think we got rave master in canada someone someone can correct us if we're wrong here a good canadian yeah. can correct us but uh the anime itself was on it's based off of a manga like you said neil and the right. anime was on cartoon network uh, ran mm-hmm. from 2001 to 2002 and the manga itself ran for for much longer uh, and yeah, you mentioned how the game was released in Japan in 2002 and three years to come to North, North America, which is a, a yeah. strange move, uh, because three years, that's, uh, that's 2005 for the GameCube and the GameCube is not looking good at this point. Right. Yeah. The GameCube was on a down downward spiral at that point, And even the manga was also not doing too well either. The manga itself, uh, ran from 1999 to 2005. So right when this game came out, the manga was over. So I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. I think they were <laughs> just trying to maybe save it by bringing it to North America to see if they could find new audiences. Because when I think 2005, that is really the height for me, at least sure. of like Dragon Ball Z, Yu-Gi-Oh!, you know, Digimon and Pokemon were still pretty big at the time, but I just think of that being like the Dragon Ball Z era and then Inuasha and everything else. I think that they were just trying to capitalize on that, which is too bad. But the series follows a character by the name of Haru Glory, who's a teenager to, on a quest to find five pieces of the Sacred Stone Rave in order to bring peace to the world by defeating the criminal group called the Demon Card. So Rave Master just means you're the master of these Sacred Stones, kind of like Thanos in Infinity War, but I think it's or the slightly spear, different. Uh, <laughs> the Spear Balls. 
or the spirit balls up, or the uh, the dragon balls. Dragon balls. Themselves. I, I was thinking spirit bomb. <laughs> yep. Now that's just when Goku had his arms up for ten seasons in order to defeat Frieza. Yes. Which... Just uh, as soon as you said five pieces, I was like, oh, like seven dragon balls. Okay, got it. I'll, it's like it's always the same trope. Yeah, but there's actually six video games in the Rave Master series published by Konami. So there was a lot of these things, but I think that this was the only Nintendo one. I don't remember any of these being on N64, and this is certainly the only GameCube one. So yeah. So three of them were only on PlayStation 1. Two were for the Game Boy Advance, actually. And then, of course, this one was exclusively for the GameCube. Right. And all of the names of them sound like uh, rhythm games. Like, they all <laughs> sound like music games. Like, there's, yeah, Groove Adventure Rave, and then, like, just a bunch of other ones that just sound like rhythm games. I don't know what they were going for there with the titles of these games, but it obviously didn't work out for them, unfortunately. But it is a fighting game, which is why it's in this episode. It's not nearly as well polished as Soul Calibur 2 or Bloody Roar. It's a true 3D fighting game. I'll give it that. Probably the only one or one of the few ones on the GameCube that is a true 3D fighter. Uh, you're actually kind of running around in a in a large room often uh and so you're not on just that 2.5d plane which is what most fighting games at this time were and the camera kind of is zoomed out quite far away from you uh which i didn't like that part because you don't really get to see the action as well like one of the best parts about soul caliber like we talked about earlier is the fact that you are so those characters are so large on screen same with bloody Mm -hmm. roar and uh you're so much like you feel like you're so much in the more in the action than you would be playing Rave Master, mm-hmm. because here I don't know, just that that camera really bothers me, Neil. And it never stops moving too, like it's constantly zooming in and out, which kind of gives you a little bit of like a dizziness. And it, it even reminds me just a little bit of melee. I don't know why, but just like even with the items, like you can see items on screen that yeah. look like like there's the crate, there's a sword, there's uh, like a hammer is constantly showing up. It just reminds me of like if melee went into I guess 3D, this is kind of what it would look like. But the character models look awful. Like it looks almost like an N64 game on top of like a GameCube rendered background. And there's just so much going on on screen. I don't know how you're supposed to know what what to do. I mean, you're supposed to fight the other people on screen, obviously. And there is a bit of a story to it. <laughs> yeah, the story is really S- weird. <laughs> sadly. Yeah, there's oh, there's cutscenes and everything. It makes no sense. Oh, there's, gonna... It's like there's one of the ones is uh, you're fighting against this basically a pedophile who is capturing young girls and uh he they're called the big butt bandits <laughs> i'm not making this up this is real uh, it, it is so strange oh mm. my god <laughs> yeah but i mean like the game was criticized at the time for being fun but repetitive in the long run it's very much just a button mashing fighting game which is is too bad it's not what fighting fans were wanting at the time but definitely This is when the fighting game community was getting very technical. I mean, it already was with games like Street Fighter. So this is more of like a party game, I would say. Kind of like if if you're really into anime and you're looking for a a Melee-like game, it's probably right up your alley. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you are a GameCube collector, this is one of those oddities to look out for. But uh, unless you're like a hardcore GameCube collector, I don't see how this game would have any sort of interest to anybody in 2021. Yeah, the, I will say the anime and the manga uh, themselves, they've actually received quite rave reviews. <laughs> Get it? I <laughs> know, <laughs> uh, but uh, honestly, they they usually have pretty good stories. Uh, relatively unique as well amongst the mangas that were out there at the time. Uh, and fun fact, the guy who created Rave Master, 
uh, also created Fairy Tale, which I'd argue is probably oh. much more well known than uh, Rave Master. So as soon as I saw this, I was like, this art style looks familiar. And then I read that. And I was like, oh, OK, mm. that makes sense. How does this game relate to Final Fantasy in any way? Because it looks like the main character he's got the has the sword. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, <laughs> he's got the giant sword that I just I associate with Final Fantasy seven. And this is Konami. So <laughs> I I don't know maybe uh, you gotta I, I I well Neil this page this uh this game does not have a Wikipedia page we can oh. make it yeah we can start it right now <laughs> we can make up anything no one would check fact check us on that that's for sure but Rave Master unfortunately this was the last we ever saw of it, it was 2005 I don't see it coming back anytime soon I've never even heard of this series until till we talked about it today we brought it back to life for uh, uh ten quick minutes and now it's now it's back. In the hey, we're, we're, we're good at bringing things back to life, but I'm, I'm really glad that instead we're getting Monkey Ball and Advance Wars <laughs> and not a Rave Master game on Switch because that would be a nightmare. <laughs> Mike, should I read the back of the case before we close out the episode? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Enemies, friends, Rave, and Shadowstones are all thrown into the mix as the curtain rises on the ultimate groove fight. Slam, crash, fight, exploding with amazing over-the-top attacks. Story mode, battle through the unique stories of five characters, complete with voices, unfortunately. <laughs> Mike, so let's uh, end off the episode here, but before we do, obviously we have to go through the games we talked about today. Are there any of the three that you would suggest that the listeners pick up? I would absolutely suggest that you pick up Soul Calibur. I think everyone who owns a GameCube should have this in their library, and I'm ashamed to say that I had to borrow yours, Neil, because uh, you I don't have this in my library. I used to, mm. uh, I think. Maybe, or I rented it from Blockbuster every week, which sounds more accurate, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It is such a good game, and renting it at Blockbuster was probably the better idea for some someone like you or me, who you know we're not into fighting games, as we said at the start of the show. But this one, I was. This one, yeah, this one brought a lot of people in that weren't because it was just so beautiful, and it had Link in it, which was like a gateway drug to bring Nintendo fans into a fighting game community. It was a brilliant move on Nintendo and uh, Namco's part. So yeah, obviously Soul Calibur 2 is the choice. And to go even deeper, as we talked about, there are three versions of Soul Calibur mm-hmm. with three different characters, depending on if you bought the GameCube, the PS2, and the Xbox version. I, I still highly suggest the GameCube version, obviously, because Link is so much of a cooler character than the other two, in my opinion. And the history around the game is just so cool that like, you know, Link, one of the first times, if not the first time he was outside of a Zelda game was yeah. really neat. And we hardly see that now other than like Hyrule Warriors, which I hardly count as like a spinoff. Uh, the of Cadence of Hyrule, we had that. True, Cadence of Hyrule, which I guess is kind of another like another rhythm game, fighting, not a fighting game, but more <laughs> yeah. of like a rhythm. Yeah, RPG there we go. There's game. one. <laughs> There's one. Cadence of Hyrule, lock it in. So yeah, obviously uh, Soul Calibur Two. I would love to try and find Bloody Roar though, if I can, at a decent price. That game looks like a really neat GameCube title. That just a weird game from this era that we haven't seen since. Yeah, no, honestly, uh, that that would be a good pick too. But if I had to mm-hmm. pick one, Soul Calibur Two. Uh, one of my, I'd say, of looking back on all these games, this is probably one of the very few that I can give a 10 out of 10 to. Just it's wow. it's fantastic in every way. Holds up so well. It's so much fun to play still. And even if you don't have great memories of playing this game, you know, I have very fuzzy memories of playing it. Like, I remembered some things when I started up again, but it's it's just fun to play in, in present day. And I think that says a lot about the lasting impact of that game. 
Yeah, and Soul Calibur uh, as a franchise, you know, there's multiple games in it, and you only ever hear, at least I only ever hear people talking about Soul Calibur 2. Like, there has been a 3 and a 4 and whatnot, and there was there was Soul Calibur's before Soul Calibur 2, but you only ever hear, p- at least people from our generation, talking about Soul Calibur 2. It's still, like, a major title in the fighting game community, and that says a lot. Like, a game that's 18 years old that was, you know, an arc- came from the arcades. It looks like an arcade game on GameCube. They brought that Dreamcast and arcade feels so nicely over to the gamecube no, and uh yeah. yeah it's a really cool experience that i hope uh lots of people out there pick it up it's not unfortunately on switch yet which is too bad but mike that that leads us into our next sort of ending topic is where do you see soul caliber going forward there was one on ps4 and xbox one do you think that we'll see a new entry in the soul caliber series on playstation 5 xbox series x or to go even further do you think we'll see a remake or a reboot of some kind of soul caliber 2 that's a good question um so I think we're not going to see something for Soul Calibur 2 for a long time because we did get Soul Calibur 2 remade in 2013, uh, except it just right. wasn't for the uh, uh, the any Nintendo consoles. Uh, right. <laughs> no, no Wii U uh, <laughs> Soul so Calibur 2. <laughs> what, what a weird choice that was. I can, and I can't see Namco doing that again. You know, and, and especially right now. I, I it doesn't seem like Nintendo would have much of an interest to do that. Uh, it would be an amazing surprise for sure, but I, I just can't see a Soul Calibur two happening anytime soon. Uh, there will be more Soul Calibur installments in the franchise. I can almost guarantee that it's a huge money maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it will it'll always live on. I did personally play Soul Calibur four, which has Darth Vader in it, and. Uh, after that, I didn't really follow the franchise at all because uh, no Link or Darth Vader, so you know I'm out. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I it, again has great sales, has a has a quite a large following amongst you know, fighting game fans, and it's going to continue for sure. Will we get one on Switch? Maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, I'd say I'd say the chances of getting a Soul Calibur Seven on the Switch are a lot higher than getting a Soul Calibur Two remade. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. I'm I'm just more interested at, in the franchise in general right now because Bandai Namco specifically are such an interesting company where they're having this massive renaissance right now with they publish the Dark Souls games, right? That's a Bandai Namco mm-hmm. series. They also assist with the development of Smash Bros. They're doing a bunch of good stuff right now, almost like Capcom. They're sort of coming up the ranks at the same time, leaving you know publishers from the old days like Konami in the dust, really. So I'd really love to see a Soul Calibur game come out in maybe 2022 or something like that and 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 feature characters from those souls games which would be really neat yeah uh, as a as the extra character that's what i think soul caliber needs is a character from another franchise i think that that was a really cool idea with soul caliber 2 and soul caliber 4 with the star wars characters they included a few of the force unleashed characters as well there uh, so i think that that's a neat way to do it i think it was actually sort of interesting that since bandai namco own the rights to Soul Calibur, and they're doing Smash Bros. as well. It's too bad that they didn't bring in uh, the some ultimate of these crossover <laughs> to Smash Bros. or something like that, which yeah. would have been so cool. Something like that would have been really neat. I would even love to see, just to go at, like a step further, would be to see Bandai Namco do something where it's Soul Calibur cross Nintendo. Yes. Like, how dope would that be if like you got a game that had... I can't even name the characters from Soul Calibur because I'm not that big of a nerd. Just Raphael. Let's just get Raphael. Raphael, sure, just Raphael. But then you know you get eight to 
15, I guess maybe 15 characters from, from Soul Calibur over the years. And then you get a bunch of fighters from Nintendo's games like, like Fire Emblem and Metroid and Zelda and maybe Mario's in there too or someone. And then you have that as a cross, almost like Capcom, Marvel versus Capcom. Make a Nintendo versus Soul Calibur on Switch. That's what I would want over like a Soul Calibur. Are we at seven now? I forget. That's going to be seven. The next installment would be. Oh, that would sell so many units on Switch, dude. If they did something like that, <laughs> like that would... That would that would put Nintendo that would put the Switch over the Wii in terms of sales easily 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 <laughs> we can dream yeah. we can only dream but Mike while we're dreaming about that why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on the GameCube with School podcast next week episode fifty eight is all about uh, Warner Brothers uh, and their cartoons so Looney Tunes back in action uh, we'll be talking about because uh, well there is another Warner Bros cartoon coming out Space Jam New Legacy uh, mm-hmm. and unfortunately there was no Space Jam video game for the GameCube. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we got Looney Tunes back in action. It's a uh, sickly uh, younger brother, I would say. Oh, yeah, no, Looney Tunes back in action was a bit of a flop. Unfortunately, it did bring down Warner Brothers from its renaissance of the 90s and 2000s, which was a good time to be a, a kid uh, loving Warner Brothers franchises. Really, we thank Space Jam for bringing that back. But uh, there were a bunch of other games too on the GameCube that were Warner Brothers licenses like uh, Teen Titans and uh, Tom and Jerry. Taz wanted so uh, really looking forward to talking about those games to celebrate or hopefully celebrate Space Jam 2 coming out I'm hoping it's good but I have I have my doubts on it but we'll see but ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to episode 57 of the GameCube is Cool podcast we have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better if you want to support the show you can find us on Patreon we are the GameCube was cool follow us on Instagram at the GameCube pod share us with your friends and family tell Link Neil says yeah Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Listen. Over (laughs) 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.